going on, Trophy Kids? We got an awesome one here for you today. We're talking NFL news and everything that's going on there and the front office schemes. We've got picks coming for these NFL playoff games. We're talking a little Big 12 basketball and college basketball to wrap it up. It's a good one. Let's go. <laughs> Welcome to Trophy Kids presented by Bad News Media. It is January 15th. As always, I'm your host, Nate. We got Tim on the mic today, and Dante is out, but we'll be back next week. How are we doing today, sir? We're doing fantastic, Nate. The Lions hired a GM that's <laughs> not named Bob Quinn. That they did. That they did, which I threw him into the old Google machine, and there was one. The first one was from like the Detroit Times or something, was not happy with the Brad Holmes pick but the expectation was either that schneider guy is one of that <laughs> that guy is one of the most insane beat writer no he's not even a beat writer he's an opinion columnist who r makes these crazy takes on anything he writes he tries to be way overly dramatic on anything and everything and it's insane it was well his expectation was like schneider out of seattle or i forget the other guy it was completely it like... It was Colvin from the Steelers. Yeah. <laughs> like he was like the Lions were going to land either two of them. <laughs> I don't know what they're thinking, but like I didn't need to read it because I knew it was a crazy piece. And one of the other Detroit Lions beat writers retweeted it and summed it up. It was like, yep, I was waiting for a salacious point, but it was just like, I wish they hired somebody with more experience. Well, you know what that means? That that GM got fired. <laughs> that's yeah. the only way you get a gm with experience he had to be fired yes that or i guess you could take the angle of assistant gm or somebody like write down um because i mean brad holmes is who knows he might turn out to be great i like the brand i like going when you're hiring gms i like going towards the scouting tree he was the director of college scouting he wasn't the head of scouting but call director of college scouting is a pretty important job you got to be able to scout some talent and they did bring, when you look at the guys they've drafted, he has been responsible for, or played a role in Aaron O'Donnell, Cooper Cup, John Johnson, Samson, I, I can't pronounce his last name, Tyler Higby, um, Todd Gurley, and J Jared Goff. Like, that's not a bad track record off the bat. I mean, you, you raise a little concern maybe with Jared Goff, but not bad. How are you feeling about it overall? Right. Yes. Yeah, so the one, the one thing is Jared Goff, but... That being said, he's also produced, uh, I think I read, 13 starters for the Rams organization through his drafts. Yeah. And and he hasn't had a first-round pick since Jared Goff. Yeah, I mean, it's impressive. Like, it obviously takes more. I like that if you're going to hire a GM, I mean, it's such a crapshoot with coaches and GMs, it feels like, in the NFL. But I would much rather go, I mean, there's a couple different avenues I think you can go. You can kind of go with the analytic contract negotiation that kind of department gm you can go with the, the scouting tree type of gm um i prefer going scouting tree i want a guy who's been in the trenches from a scouting perspective who's had good draft classes who's drafted good talent and can show that you know the way he runs his scouting department is efficient and effective because you look at this rams defense and they've the Rams have done a great job of going out into the free, free agency market and getting players. They've done a good job acquiring players. But drafting players has been – they've been good at it. They've drafted good players. And so that – if I were a Lions fan, I would be somewhat reassured that at least this guy isn't a complete dud out the bat. Now, will he be good managing the entire organization as a GM has to do a lot? I don't know. But I have a feeling the scouting department's going to be pretty good. And if you haven't looked at the Lions roster right now – 
the talent is lacking in a lot of areas. So it might be good to be able to have a good scouting department once again. Yes, and a lot of that comes from their poor drafts, which is why I'm so happy that they hired a college scouting director. Now, yes, some people are reserved on the hire because he wasn't he wasn't even in the building with the Rams. He was out in Atlanta because he was always scouting colleges. Now, that being said, what's, I, I don't have that big of an issue. I think if you were meant to succeed, you're going to succeed. So... Um, you're going to have that drive to be able to overcome that stuff in the building anyways. And the Lions also do have Chris Spielman, who was not brought in as just a guy to help interview the process, and then he's going to go back to his TV job. He was brought into the Lions organization for a purpose. I mean, I see him kind of being Rod Wood's right-hand man until like two or three years down the road when he's proven himself a little bit, and then he becomes our president. Um, and he jumps right up to that top. When it comes to contract negotiations, we already have the family banker, the Ford family banker. He's employed still with the Lions. So, I mean, if he's not doing contract negotiations and figuring out the salary cap, then I don't know what he's doing. Um, so that being said, I'm thrilled. I'm over the moon with this hire. I mean, it's, that's good to hear. I was about to ask where you're at. And I, I think the other thing people get hung up with so much, and it's the same thing with coaching, I think it's bad if you hire like what's ultimately going to make Brad Holmes successful is his ability to dictate tasks to lower end employees where he's not strong. So if his strong suits the scouting department, I'm assuming he'll be more hands on there. And then the rest of it, you kind of got to let oversee it and have good communication, which if you're the director of scouting, your communication style has to be effective and efficient because you are coordinating with scouts across the country that you're rarely in the room with. Um, and that's the same thing with coaches, and we see it all the time. The area you get in the problem with is if you've got your hand in too many pots and not being a, an overseer um, as opposed to like a super hands-on guy. And maybe he's successful with that, but more often than not, you're not. So I like going college director scouting. I think that is a solid, it, at least a good first step to hopefully lending a good GM job or having a good GM is what I would say. Um okay. I don't know where you fall on that, but I, I initially uh, like it. Who great. knows if he'll be successful? He could be absolute garbage, but at least it makes sense. Like, the hire makes – it isn't completely out of left field, and it feels good initially. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I love that he's a, a, a strong drafter because not just this past organization and Bob Quinn, but we've had a problem with drafting for the Lions since I've been born. Um, so to have somebody with a strong draft – track record is not something i'm used to here in detroit so it's definitely a welcomed change yeah and now we'll see who we have for coaching the, the lines went with the more traditional route i would say getting your gm in line to then go out and go get your coach the jags have taken the complete other direction which we talked to talked about last week a little bit but it is now official urban myers is heading to jacksonville i haven't seen the figures on the contract yet i know there was some speculation about 12 million a year I'll be interested to see what that would look like. Urban Meyer, Nate, you're not in Michigan. That's for all my Michigan um, listeners. Urban Urban Myers. I know Michiganders add asses to every single word up here, um, but it's Urban Meyer. Whatever. You know I'm not a name guy. I would be very (laughs) interested to see what those conversations looked like between him and the ownership group. Um or Khan, I should say, just there is one owner. Um, and what his 
role is going to be. Because if we look at Urban, and I said this last week, I my gut feeling is Urban's going to be a flaming star that burns out real bright real quick. Um, I think initially he's probably going to have an effect from – because what's Urban great at in college? He was great at recruiting, and he was great at culture building. He hired good OCs and DCs, and he had his hand a little bit in there. But when you when you hear anybody talk about it, it's always culture building, recruiting was fantastic. Well, recruiting doesn't matter squat diddly squat in the NFL, and the culture building is a completely different culture. But it's a prime job. You have a you have the most cap space going into next year. You've got a lot of draft asset and equity there because you have a lot of draft picks as well, and you are in line to draft arguably the greatest QB prospect since Peyton Manning coming out, who having a guy who's more geared towards college might be good for that initial transition. My concern will be how are you hiring your GM? Is urban the one doing it? Is the ownership group growing, doing it? Is it a mixture of the two? And can he make the adjustment from a culture fit? Because he has never coached in the NFL. He's never had or held any official position, I believe in the NFL. And that is a big adjustment. And we've seen a ton of college coaches burn out real quick. And Urban's a guy, too, where stress gets to him, and he burns out at his jobs. In the NFL, you're not winning like you're winning in college. It's not as easy going into an Ohio State or a Florida program and kind of winning and flipping a switch. The NFL is a lot harder to do it in. So I don't think it's going to go particularly well. I don't know what your thoughts are on it. I don't know. I think it's interesting, and it's intriguing. So... From a root for radio perspective, I like it. Um, from actually a football standpoint, I just don't really know where I stand on it. Just because you've seen a few times recently with Matt Rule. Um, well, I was going to say Bill O'Brien, but that didn't work out at all. No. Um, so <laughs> Who's headed back to coaching I really in college? I really don't know. So that's like two polar opposite situations there where one came from the – from college and kind of succeeded or is starting to show signs of succeeding and another one just flamed out and burned completely. So I, he's got all of this talent that he could have at his disposal. So it could be another big time offense where he puts together an offense like he had at OSU and he brings in Trevor Lawrence. He can draft either Travis Etienne or Najee uh, Harris right off the start. And then you have, um, Robinson is your running back already. So you have all of that and you have DJ Chark. I mean, you have a hell of an offense then with a ton of weapons at his disposal. So we'll see how he could use those. And then you got all this cap space to go out to spend. Yeah, I just so in my head it's always seared as a Bucks fan, the Greg Schiano to the NFL. And the culture fit was toxic at best. And then I think of the Chip Kelly in with the Eagles, not a good fit from a from a personality standpoint and culture, you got Bill O'Brien who absolutely gutted that Texans organization. Mm-hmm. Like we're, we're about to talk about here in a minute. We'll talk about that. I don't yeah. know how much uh, Bill O'Brien might not have been the, the, the main guy behind that. Quite but, possible. Uh... That is true. <laughs> um, but then you also have, and you've got Matt rule who, who knows he could be, it's only year one in the, in the process. So it's, it's early, but he could potentially be a great hire. Um, I'll be interested to see, because they're going the opposite route, and I I think that is, I'll be interested to see how they handle the GM search, because if your GM and coaching is not completely in tandem, it is a recipe for 
utter disaster and chaos. You have to have a GM and a coach that are completely on the same page, who have the same kind of vision, so that they can go out and they can put together a roster that's going to translate to what you want to look like on the field. And I'll be interested to see what that GM pick ultimately looks like, because I don't believe they have a GM right now, unless I'm mistaken. Like the more I, I say so. it, I'm like ninety five percent sure they haven't hired anyone. I, do I don't even know if they've started so. that search. Um But that I do not know either. It'll be interesting. That is what I'll be interested in. Um Yeah, they have an interim GM right now. So who knows? I mean, it, it might work out. I don't know. An interesting little stat though, because uh Doug Peterson got fired from the Eagles. Every single head coach hired in 2016 has now been fired. That list is Doug Peterson, Adam Gase, Hugh Jackson, Chip Kelly, Dirk Cutter, disaster, Ben McAdoo, <laughs> and Mike Malarkey down at Tennessee. That is incredible. Ron Rivera is, I think, the most tenured coach in the NFC East right now at like a year and a week. <laughs> so it is... Man. The coaching carousel is legit. What, did he just get hired right before Mike McCarthy did? Yeah, he got it? hired before Mike McCarthy did. That's how he's <laughs> he's edging out Mike McCarthy, who probably will be out of a job here relatively soon as well. So <laughs> I think Ron Navarro is keeping that title for a little while now. Um, yep. It'll be interesting. I don't know. There's The coaching process seems so flawed in the NFL right now. It feels like the carousel... It's always going to be spinning. But it feels like there's a mixture of not enough time to really get your feet down and too many guys wanting to be head coach and OC or head coach and DC instead of head coach and helping the big moments with whatever your strong suit is. Um, Like you see with Sean McDermott in the Bills or... um, Bill Belichick obviously has more defensive responsibilities, but there's so there's so many guys that I feel that want to do both, whatever their strong suit in, and the vast majority of them cannot do it. So it almost, I don't know, if, I don't know how that solves itself, but it feels like I haven't looked at a coaching hire yet, or guys that are being listed and thought, damn, you know what? I think that's going to be a great, great fit <laughs> right now. Yeah, I have no idea. It's it's. I don't know if it's becoming progressively more and more of an old boys club, or it. I, I think what's happening is you have like, you have like a quarter of the NFL taking risks on new head coaches, and they're hitting it out of the ballpark, and then the other seventy five percent of the NFL is hiring somebody that's tied to somebody that they've met before in their lives that knows they're a super hard worker, but they're one of those super hard workers that stares at the screen and never actually gets anything done. Right. Um, so it's an interesting thing to see in football because I, I see the same exact thing. It's just like, you, you don't know if it's going to work out or not. And it doesn't, some of the hires, they make sense because they've been attached to somebody else. Right. They, they're attached to the GM or somebody in leadership position that they that they were best friends in the in the meeting rooms. Right. Or they just do the easy quick route of let's go to the Bill Belichick tree or the Andy Reid tree instead of evaluating, OK, well, how much control did this guy really have compared to the all superior Andy Reid or Bill Belichick? And that's been the biggest case, I feel like, with Bill Belichick and the Patriots and his coaching tree. It's it feels like 
almost every time you hire somebody off that tree, it becomes very apparent pretty quickly that, oh, yeah, Bill Belichick is a huge reason that unit or whatever reason or whatever squad they were coaching was successful because it's Bill Belichick and his system. Um, before we get to the Texans news, one quick hitter. Randy Fitcher got fired from the OC job from the Steelers. Had to see that a million miles away. <laughs> when you have the Browns defense out two corners and you are a pass-heavy offense all year and you decide, you know what's a good idea today? Let's establish the run. You got to go. <laughs> like, I'm sure Randy might be a great guy and all, but that was, could see that a million miles away coming. So he's out. Schottenheimer's also out in Seattle, which I feel like he got done a little dirty there. Um, there's obviously a... a, a tug of war between what type of offense wants to be run down in, or up in Seattle. Um, but he also got, got the bag and will be looking for work elsewhere. Um, I don't know. I think Shotty's fine, but the Randy Fitcher thing was when I saw that, I was like, of course he is. I mean, the dude went run heavy against the team out both their corners hadn't practiced since Thursday and completely abandoned a pass. I mean, part of that's been big Ben can't move, but still like, what are we doing here? <laughs> um, exactly. Now, Texans. The Texans are an absolute mess. Before we get into the games of the week, we got to talk about the Texans and the situation that is devolving down there. It's obviously become a hotter situation with the threats of Deshaun potentially wanting out. You had Andre Johnson tweeting for the first time in, I think, a couple years outside of like paid sponsorship tweets about how mismanaged the organization is, how terrible it is. And then they were at a game together. Um, I think it was the national championship game or I forget what game they were at, but they were photographed in a booth together at a game. And then you had Hopkins chiming in and things are becoming apparent that the Texans organization is just not listening at all to Deshaun. And it doesn't seem from what I've heard, Watson is really even wanting to make the decisions. He simply wants to be a part of the process, which is fair He's the franchise quarterback. He's the future of your team. This organization, has he's seen the talent that has left and what they've gotten back in return and the holes that are all around that or around that roster and wants to be a part of the process. It is bad. I don't know if he... I think at this point, Watson has to decide I'm willing to sit in order for it to get... either for him to get out or for that to really get any better. Because it's a disaster down there in Houston. It, it is an absolute disaster down there. Um, and backing up on your point with Watson, I don't even know that he like has expressed in a desire that he wants to be involved in the decisions. From what I read and what I was what I was hearing, he was told that he was going to be involved in the decisions and then wasn't involved in the decisions, which is crazy to me. To go, to go tell your star quarterback that he plays a role in these decisions and then just not let him have any role in any of the decisions. Yeah, it's absolutely wild. I, I, what I was hearing and seeing was the, the Hopkins trade took him by such surprise <clears throat> that he developed, and this could be completely okay. wrong, but from what I understand, he developed more of an attitude of, like, I would like to be more involved. Not so much from, like, hey, you got to hire this guy or, hey, you can't do that. But, hey, I want a heads up, and I want a consideration or, like, hey, what do you think about this? Which we see all the time in the NBA. 
and we before, see before you trade my only offensive weapon away <laughs> i'd like to get a heads up right exactly <laughs> he wants he's not even at like he's not trying to be power hungry here or he's trying to you know make executive decisions he's simply asking for like the courtesy of like hey can i be kept in the loop like can my can my phone number go into the group text when we're doing yeah, right. major shit, like, yes. can I not be left out of this? <laughs> um, which feels fair. Um, very which, fair. Yeah, which is funny you bring up the word power hungry because there's this guy named Jack Easterby <laughs> down there. I knew you were going to hit on this. And it, what, what Andre Johnson said was, as long as Jack Easterby is there, things are not going to go well and you need to get out of there now as long as he's still there. And so there's this long piece on SI.com written by Jenny Vrentes and Greg Bishop. And the first four bullet points, right before you even get into the heart of this article, it says Jack Easterby, um, it's talking about how they went to 40 different people, current and former Texas Texas football operations staff and players and colleagues from Easterby's time in New England and those from his past in and out of college, in and out of football. What it says was these were the main things that were noticed from talking to these people. He's known for it provide, they provided detailed accounts of his alleged role, among other things, undermining other executives and decision makers, including the head coach who helped bring him to Houston. Um, Advocating for star for trade of star receiver DeAndre Hopkins soon after arriving in Houston, one season before Hopkins was sent to Arizona in a widely panned deal. Fostering a culture of distrust among staff and players to the point that one Texan and two other staffers believed that the players were being surveyed outside the building. It's just insane. And this is a guy that's risen from the team chaplain. Essentially, he was seen as the team chaplain um with the Kansas City Chiefs when um god what's the what's the linebacker that drove to the Chiefs facility who killed himself in front of everybody um Belch, Jovan did what, what god that guy do you remember what I'm talking about <laughs> I mean I like, do know what you're talking about but I I can't remember his name I can't remember his name now but he he helped them through that situation and then he was also with the Patriots when um he was also with the Patriots when the whole Aaron Hernandez thing went down so that's I mean Aaron Hernandez was a little bit a little bit ago Lynch. but not that's what it is yeah the Aaron Hernandez situation was a little while ago, but he was still seen as like the team chaplain at the time that Aaron Hernandez, what the whole Aaron Hernandez situation went down. And now he's already risen to a prominent role in the Texans from a football ops perspective. Yeah. Which is just insane. His, his ascend is absolutely insane. I mean, he's got that religion ambition. He's trying to just run the world here. Um, (laughs) So he, uh, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, he, and he's a guy who didn't, like, when you Google him, the first thing that comes up is American pastor. Like, it's not like he's some guy who started as a film analyst and rose through the ranks or something like that. And everything I've been hearing is they've essentially got a decision to make. It's either him or Deshaun. And he's essentially been acting as the owner by proxy, I guess. Um, 
and there's a power struggle there. It's pretty simple to me. I choose Deshaun Watson. <laughs> like Without this, a doubt. this isn't this is a no brainer. With this much negative press, it is easier to get rid of him and just put Deshaun into the group text and hire a GM and some other key office people and have this situation solved and have your future of your franchise happy and one of the best young stars in the league then continue with this nonsense. Because that's what it is at this point. It's just utter nonsense that we're we're even talking about this. It's insane that they've allowed this to happen. I don't know what's going on with the owner of the Texans, if he's just blind under a rock or what's going on. But here's another quote that's crazy from this article. It says, a colleague says, if you combine a faith-healing televangelist with Littlefinger, you get Jack Easterman. <laughs> Throwing the Game of Thrones. We all know how Game of Thrones ended. Not well. <laughs> oh, let's, let's keep that in there. Um, yeah, I, I think it's easy. Just get rid of Easter Bay. I don't know. I don't even know why we're, there's a conversation about him still being in the job. It seems pretty apparent. Now I haven't seen anything defending the guy, which I think is pretty telling. Um, mm-hmm. If you've got nobody, if you don't have a loud voice in the room coming to your defense and I haven't seen anybody, it that's telling of who you are and what you've, what roles you've played in this organization. So, yeah, I think it's time to go. <laughs> and I think it's time to just kind of stop the nonsense and start being a functional organization. But that's harder harder uh, done than said in the NFL. Did I say that right? Right. Yeah, I said that right. <laughs> um, I don't know if you have any other closing thoughts on that, but I'm ready to talk some, some games this weekend. Yes, I am too. The NFL has been kicking my ass gambling-wise. But <laughs> – Three zero in the national championship game in college. I ended the season sixty percent in the NCAA football. Seventy five fifty one and two was my record. The Jenner report. People are going to think I'm cheating, but these are all posted online. Tim, I shit you not. The last three years, the Jenner report, which has now once we move into the playoffs, I capped that because it's my six best bets of all the weekend. Hit sixty percent again this year. My first year, 61%. Last year, 60%. This year, 60%. I went 49-3 and three with two pushes. I'm that just, makes up more than the juice, Nate. That's good. I, but the NFL? Oh, Nelly. <laughs> oh, Nelly, is it bad. I am 66-61 and five pushes right now. I am barely treading water. Ooh, it is boy. since week 10, I have not had a winning week. <laughs> it's been... Yeesh disaster so take these picks with a grain of salt here um some of my numbers i got like i had the bills over last week at 51 and a half it landed at 51 i've been screwed so many points <laughs> so many times by the half a point this year it's a, like if you went back to my nfl picks there have got to be i don't know 20 percent of them where i feel like i've gotten hit dinged by that half a point but we've got some games i love the board this week i'm I, i'm hoping to run off with this great Day I had on Monday, 3-0. Bama, easy. Team total, Mm -hmm. easy. Over. Thank God you talked me into it because I was about to go the under. (laughs) So I'm going to give that one to you, but still it goes on 3-0 because I said let's take it. Um, We start off with Rams-Packers. In Lambeau, it's going to be a cold one. Goff is starter right now. Blake is backing him up. 
Darnold is, I think, good to go from what I heard, but is obviously banged up with the rib. Numbers at 6.5, over-unders at 45.5. This game, I mean, it's elite on elite. Because I would categorize, even though both these teams, like when you look at it, the Rams' defense hasn't played the great greatest offense, but they are, as a unit, so good. And the Packers haven't played the greatest defenses, but as a unit, are so good. And so it is a battle of, in my opinion, can the Rams make sure the Packers don't get out to a huge jump start? Because if, if they have to have Goff with that thumb in that cold weather, throw the ball a bunch. I mean, this game's going to be a runaway freight train. But if the defense can hold up, which I think they can matchup-wise, the Rams look pretty good at seven, I think. Where are you here? What What is your thinking behind this one? I don't I was sold on the Packers um, before you started talking. Um, now, I haven't watched as much NFL as you had this year either, um, but we're seeing that that doesn't really matter for your gambling record. <laughs> God, no. It's been a um, I, I hate to say this, but I really do like the Packers in this game. I want them to lose more than anything in the world um, besides the Lions winning. Uh, but I, I really I, – I find it tough to be able to keep up with the Packers if you don't have a quarterback. Right. That's exactly my thinking. My, my only concern here in where this game is going ping pong balls in my head on that number, I think I like the under here. Because I just I don't think the Rams are going to put up a ton. I think if you're the Rams, your game plan is hope that your defense bends doesn't break, and then you can control the clock with the run, run heavy sets, and then have Goff not have to throw it a ton. Keep it short. Keep the game in front of him. My concerns is Cup is banged up, and we know what that offense looks like without him. It's not good. Um, the problem is is that Packers offense. Aaron Rodgers is insane. And I've only really seen two games, it was against my Bucks and the Panthers, where he seemed to have issues. Now, regular season Rodgers is much different than postseason Rodgers. And Devontae Adams is arguably playing from a production standpoint the highest football at the wide receiver position. Maybe not the best wide receiver in the NFL, but from a pure yards, catches, production is the best. But he's going up against Ramsey, who I'd assume they're going to have trail him most of the game. And with Bakhtiari out on that line for the Packers, it does create a conundrum of can you afford to double Darnold with a backup tackle, left tackle in there, because the ends for the Rams are good. The unit is good. It's not just Donald. The entire defensive unit is good. And if you have to double Darnold, there could be a real problem on that left side of the line in pressuring Rodgers. And then on the other side of the ball, you've got the Packers defense, who is not good on the run, does not play well against the run. But the Rams are going to have to be very heavy on the run, I feel like. It's a weird... That's why I like the under here the most. And I just... I don't know. I think part of this, too, will be game time weather conditions. Like, I don't think they're calling for snow. But if it's super cold, that thumb... I'm, seeing, I'm seeing a snowflake on the AccuWeather thing on... Uh... Yeah, I think um, I like the under um, here. ESPN right now. I think I like the under here. I don't know where I am on the number for Rams or Packers. I'm leaning Rams right now. There's a part of me that hopes this number is going to move, which will make it easier. So I think this will be somewhat of a game day decision on the number to see if it moves a little. But I can't imagine it moving too much. I just I don't know. I don't know what it's that elite. Does the full, does the full football number seven? If that drops to six and a half, 
like I'm seeing on ESPN right now, does that give you any? Um, I've got it six and a half right now for the Packers. Like at six and a half, I think I like the Packers a little bit better because I like the football number touchdown for the Packers. But if it's at seven, I think I like the Rams a little better. <laughs> if that like if that makes any sense. Yeah, because that I think I think anything under seven, I would go um, the Packers. Yeah. As well, like I like the Packers to be able to. I would say win this by seven, and because I'm saying comfortably, I would I would be very good taking the Packers by seven here. I I agree. I think that's where I'm leaning. Uh, it's going to be. Da- I want to see if this number moves at all. Like a little bit more than where it's at. I'm getting it at six and a half right now. Um, you think any way that they bench uh, Goff for the boat? I don't think so. I mean, not unless he gets out there and his thumb in the cold is really like he's having a hard time like with ball control. I can't imagine they they bench him for Blake, but maybe it's not out of the realm of possibility. But I think that's a game time decision in seeing how the thumb feels in Lambeau and with that ball control. Because I guess it almost feels like he got benched last week. He did. I mean, he when he came right. in, he threw some ducks. I mean, it was like one out of every four passes looked good um, type okay. of deal. It wasn't It wasn't pretty, but they could be run heavy in that game, which they can be here too. I mean, mm-hmm. the Packers don't present a big threat on the run defense. It's just whether or not that Rams defense can keep it from a boat race because if it gets – if the Packers get out, and that's kind of how this second game on Saturday I think is going to be – if the Rams can keep this close, the Rams can win this game. Like they've got, they can control the ball running wise and the Packers run defense is good enough. And by close, I mean within 10, maybe like they just, the Packers just can't get out in front big early because then the Rams can't catch them. Like they just won't be able to catch them. But the matchups, like if you have Ramsey trailing Adams, I like that matchup. Obviously they're going to do some things to get Adams away from him formation wise. And the Rams have shown that they'll let Ramsey trail a guy, um, which is like reminiscent of, and he's not the same player, obviously, but the Revis days where you just said Revis, all right, go. He's definitely trailing Yeah. And I think that's the approach you're going to have here. Now, Matt LaFour will do something, I'm assuming, from a schematic standpoint to get Adams away from him Mm pre-snap, but I'd assume he's just trailing him most of the game. And I like that matchup. It's going to be super, it's 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 the game within the game type of deal. Um, and then Donald, I just don't know what you're going to get from Donald. And I don't know how they go. I mean, they've got a great – the offensive line isn't great, but they've got they've got some studs. That center is good for them. It's just Bakhtiari out on that tackle spot. It makes it – like if Donald's eating inside, then you got to double him, and then that becomes a very vulnerable spot for the Packers. And I just – I don't know if they handle that well or not. It's a weird – it's going to be game time, but I like the under. The under I do like. I think – because I don't think the Rams don't are going to put up a lot of points. So it's a, it's a control-the-game type of deal. Mm-hmm. So I like the under. And that's how I feel about the second game, Ravens-Bills. The number's at 2.5, over-under's 49.5. If the Bills get out early, the Ravens are not catching them here, I don't think. Where are you at this game? I have some some thoughts on it. But where where do you fit in on this Ravens-Bills? Lines I, like the Bills. I like the Bills in this game a lot. I mean, the reason, it, the reason being, I mean... They were finally – the Ravens are starting to let Lamar be Lamar more and more. Um, but I just let – Josh Allen has been on a whole, whole other level, and it's just – it's insane to watch. It's so much fun. 
It's so much fun. I love the Bills. I'm so happy the Bills and Browns are going on their terror. Like, I had so much fun because my Bucks game was stressful as hell for me. But <laughs> I had some of the most fun I've had watching football, watching the Bills, Browns last week. Like, the Browns kicking the shit out of the Steelers was mm-hmm. one of the most fun I've had all year watching football. And then the Bills being good, too, and getting their win, and it was a close one. And I didn't even mind I lost that bet. I was just happy they got the win. I didn't like it wasn't even a thought in my mind that I lost the seven number. Um, I'm with you here. I think the Ravens. I think people are so like, oh, the Ravens are just gonna slash them rushing wise because the the Bills haven't been great. But last year, the Ravens were a phenomenal rushing team, and the Bills gave them some fits. Like they didn't just get to slash them through the rush. Sean McDermott puts together a good scheme defensively for this. My biggest concern would be the tight ends because as we saw with Noodle Arm, Phillip Rivers, and that tight end core for the Colts last week, the Bills have a problem matching up against tight ends. And Mark Andrews is a problem to try to match up against. And so I wouldn't be so concerned if I'm a Bills better, which I am in this game, about the run rushing attack of the Ravens. I'm concerned about what Mark Andrews might do through the passing and Lamar might do through the passing game because of what Phillip Rivers in that Colts tight end group was able to do through the passing game. Like, that's a prop that you should look into. It's it's almost like you kind of got to let Lamar be Lamar, kind of keep him in front of you. Mm -hmm. Just just let him get 5, 10 yards, whatever that may be, but do not give up that big bomb to the tight end straight up the middle for a 40-yard touchdown. I mean, that'll be where they get in trouble. It absolutely thrashed him. And what I like about the Bills, too, is in Peters, the matchup is great because if you get Peters on digs, Peters is an aggressive corner. He likes to try to jump around. He likes to play very aggressive. That could be a spot where um, Allen takes some real big shots on him where they get Peters to bite and we get some explosion because he's aggressive at at corner. So the matchups are very intriguing. You've got... Andrews on one side of the ball who should have himself a day. Look for that prop bet. Um, I haven't looked into it yet, but I, I'm probably going to take some action on whatever his receiving yards are. And then Peters guarding Diggs at points because I'm sure they're going to look for that matchup and how aggressive he gets to be and giving a fake under route and then taking off, mm-hmm. taking the top off. Ooh, it's going to be – the only concern I have here is snow because it's going to be cold and we could get some snow from what I understand for this game. Could be a lake effect type of deal. And that could be Allen will will cut through it like a knife with butter, but catching the ball in a snow game in a cold game is a different story, especially when he's out there beaming it. Um but you're Bills, because I think yeah. I'm I'm Bills as well. Yep, I'm definitely Bills here. Brownies Chief, numbers big, ten. Chiefs have got the ten spot. Over under is at fifty-seven. I mean, Kevin Savancy, coach of the year. What they did to the Steelers was phenomenal. How he prepared that team was phenomenal. Chase Claypool still talking shit. Like, dude, you need to shut up. They clapped you hard. <laughs> mm-hmm. Hard. It wasn't even close. Um, how do we feel about this game? Number two big, just right. Where are we thinking? What know. are we thinking? That number scares me. Yep. The scares number me scares too. me because I feel like the Browns are on this little special run where they, they – I don't know. It's a little special run that they're having this year. It is. And um, they could cover this number or they could get blown out. I mean, 10 points is still a blowout as well, though, too, in the NFL. (laughs) (laughs) 10 points is a big number for the NFL. It's why I bet the Bears last week, which was unfortunate. Another game that I missed by a 
a point. I think that ended at 11. Kicked the field goal at the end. Um, we should be required to do that. <laughs> that should be a requirement at end of games. But uh, one of the most wild endings from a betting perspective I've ever seen. Oh my god, so infuriating. <laughs> um, but ten is a big number, and the Browns pose almost no threat defensively. I don't think here. Um, the problem is, and what makes this number intriguing to me is the Chiefs have been off for, I think, twenty-one days now or something like that. They've been off for a while, and while last year with their bye, they ended up smoking at the end. They did show some rust at the beginning. And so if they come out slow, that opens up what the Browns can do offensively from controlling the clock, running the ball, having some play action, giving some tight end sets that give Baker some more time to develop some big plays. I mean, the offense is cooking. Baker seems comfortable. He's slinging it around. They They know who they are as a football team. My concern is, and they get Ward back, is can they even hold the Chiefs at all and I think they probably can I would take any prop bet probably on Kelsey's receiving yards Mahomes passing probably won't be a bad bad prop bet I don't know if I love the over here but I I think I like Browns at 10 just because the number is big if that number dips that might be one of those game time things see if this number dips because there's a chance some money big money comes in and this number moves south and then I'd be fine loading up on the Chiefs. But at 10, it just it feels big for a playoff game and a team that's sort of team of destiny right now, it feels like. Yeah, I don't know. This one I don't really want to touch and make an actual decision on. This is one of those ones that I'm like just excited to watch and see, <laughs> see if the Brownies can pull it off. And if they can't, then, oh, well, Patrick Mahomes was fun to watch too. So this is one of those ones where I don't need to gamble on to get myself interested in. This is true. This is very true. It's going to be a fun game. A not-so-fun game, a game I'll be on the edge of my seat for, a game that'll probably send me into cardiac arrest, is the Bucks versus the Saints. The number's at three, over-unders at 52. Tom Brady with an all-time tweet this week, tweeting out him and Drew Brees looking like old men for the hit game on the History Channel. Um, great stuff there. Where do you fall in this game? Because I obviously have thoughts. I didn't even have to really do prep because I already I have seen this game twice this year is horrifying for me new orleans is favored by three yeah i mean they smoked us last game and in the first game i forget what the score was but it was not yeah they beat us 38 to 3 in november and 34 to 23 in september um i don't know i like the bucks in this game for you nate um especially to cover three points uh especially i mean if they're getting three points so I do too. I, I like the Bucks here, but I'm overly cautious. Like I took the Redskins or sorry, the football team last week. They pushed for me at the eight number. I ca- I capped that game. You listen to that recap. I called that perfectly. Brian Leftwich, the concern for me Byron. this game, Byron, sorry, is which OC we see show up. Is it the one who was doing all types of nonsense during the regular season or is it the guy we've seen calling plays the last four games call it. And I know it's not been against the greatest teams, but you saw it against the Redskins or the football team. God, just messing up all over the place here. Um, you know, where we weren't afraid to pass it on first down. We were mixed in a ton of play action. I mean, Tom Brady had the fifth most passing yards off play action, I think in playoff history. He had 184. Um, 
fifth most. He has the fir- he also has the record for that. Um, we saw um we saw Leonard Fournette. Congratulations to him. Run really well and be willing to pass on first down and then run on a shorter second down, which was good. We saw an offensive line that was incredible. Um, a guy who does not get enough credit, Ali Marpet. It's been since week six he's let up a sack. It's a thousand and seventy-five snaps. He has not had a sack. Donovan Smith, who I have been very hard on, was a stud. Um, Tristan Wirth, great. He hasn't allowed a sack in 698 snaps. Kappa fracturing his ankle is very concerning to me um, at the right guard spot. Or not the right guard spot, sorry. Um, That is concerning to me. But Brady showed his elite a level of climbing the pocket, um, which was good. Like that, the way he moved within the pocket looked great against the football team who presents a lot of problems up front. Um, And then offensively, we look good. My biggest problem is going to be defensively for this game because Todd Bowles, to his credit, this defense has not... To his credit, he's called good games, but to his discredit, he's called some bad games, and it feels like we're getting worse almost at some points, and it comes from this, what feels like a conservative approach in the second half where we stop bringing pressure and we drop back, and then quarterbacks, we're just not getting pressure with our our D-line, which is a little concerning. We should be able to get it, but when that's not happening, it's we have to be willing to bring pressure in this game and speed it up. Because while the secondary, individually, we have some really good talent back there and really young talent, they're still really young. And as a unit, there's communication problems all over the place. And there are big play opportunities all over the place through games. And we've been lucky and bailed out because quarterbacks have missed on that. And Drew Brees' arm isn't great, but he's still pretty accurate. And so we need to be able to continue to bring pressure. We need to continue to be willing to throw the ball on first down, And we need, most importantly, which we did last week, which I said, God, I hope we do this. I hope it's part of the scheme. If it's not part of the scheme, I have real concerns. If it is, I like it a whole lot better. And that is utilize Gronk in the blocking game. And they utilized Gronk heavily in the blocking game last week. And it worked perfectly. From him chipping to him taking assignments. Like, I saw him blocking Chase Young one-on-one at times. Like, it was was perfect. And the the protection held up so well because... Gronk is all time, is an all-time blocker, and he still has that in his repertoire. And so I think we're going to need that because the Saints' defense allows for big shot opportunity. We need the time to develop that, and Brady's willing to take that. Obviously, I think we've passed. We've had more pass attempts plus 20 yards than I think any team in the NFL. But Gronk has to be part of the passing game. If he is, I think we cover this number. If he's not, and Kappa being out hurts us, I don't know. It could be tough, but I I like the Bucks are due. We're due. We've lost two. We're due for a win, right? <laughs> yes. I'm nervous yes, to say I the do. least. I, I mean, I I sure you think Drew Brees is accurate, but I think we got another Philip Rivers on our hands a little bit too. I mean, he can't throw the ball down the field. Yeah, I mean it. It's definitely part, of, and that's part of my like. We get Devin White back, who needs to be better in coverage, but like we have to continue to blitz and bring pressure. If they do that. I think we're golden here. I think we're really golden here. Because when the block, when the Bucks blitz, 
it is very hard to beat us because we bring pressure so quickly and we bring it so creatively. Todd Bowles is a is a phenomenal defensive coordinator in disguising the blitz and bringing unique blitz packages. It's when he gets away from that, and it seems to happen in the second half when we have leads, that then I become worried because, like I said, individually there's some great talent in the Bucks secondary, and the future is very bright. But as a collective unit, there are still a way too many miscommunications and coverage that allow for big plays, and those big plays become harder to hit when we're bringing pressure because QBs aren't able to step up like they want to be and hit that big shot. And so that is so vitally important for this game, I think. That's where I yeah. found it. But I'm taking my bucks. We're rolling the bucks, baby. I'm going to break out some bucks <laughs> juice this Sunday, make a little blender bucks juice, and we're rolling. Um, <laughs> all right. Those are the picks. I know you wanted to kind of wrap up with some Big 12 basketball talk. I saw part of that game, Texas, Texas Tech. I have to say I'm so glad Matt McClung is no longer in the Big East at Georgetown. He is a problem. Shaka Smart and that Texas team is feisty. They weren't able to close out the game like they'd like to. Um, I think outside of the Big Ten, the Big 12 is the most dangerous conference right now. Um, pure depth-wise, I don't know how you feel about that, but that is where I'm, I'm sitting with some Big 12 basketball right now. Yeah, I guess if you think the um, if you think the Big Ten is the best conference, I'd say the Big Twelve has the best chance to win the national title outside of Gonzaga. I mean, they're very top heavy, sure, but they have some very good teams up top. With Texas, just with Texas, Baylor, and Texas Tech alone, mm-hmm. I mean, 100%. those three right there are just insane. I mean, watching that game. Watching that Texas Tech-Texas game, yes, I'm also very happy that Mac McClung is gone. He's one of those weird guys that you know you don't really, even though you've watched him all these times, you don't, you still don't think he's that good. Like you still view him as like just like an internet sensation um, <laughs> that's never actually going to work out. But then he works out and he's put up so many points and he's hit so many clutch threes or so many clutch game winners too. And that last one where he had his toe like on the line, but not on the line. It was as close as it could be to the line. And just like watching them show that replay in his foot, just like stop at the line. Like it, like it turned like inward (laughs) stop just so he could keep it either like behind the line or right at the line to hit that three at the end of the game was just insane. And for Chris Beard to just trust his team and let them go at the end of that game was insane. I mean, he's just like, they're bringing the ball up the court. They're going for the last shot. And it's one of those plays where if you have timeouts left, you dri- you dribble it right to that spot, right in front of the bench, call a timeout, draw up your play and go. And he was just like, nope, you're good. You got it. Go. Yeah. And they did it. And Mac McClung just pulled up for three. It was insane. I mean, I look at the conference as a whole because I think the Big Ten top to bottom is the best conference but you look at this conference and you go, Baylor's very good. Texas is good. Texas Tech is good. Kansas is good. Oklahoma State is no joke. Like, they are flying, I think, not as under the radar. After they're just the best, they're the best Kansas. player in the country, too. Yes. Like, they're very good. Oklahoma can be good. And West Virginia can be good if things go right. But, like, there's a lot of good, tough, gritty teams in this conference. Texas is good. Texas is good because, I mean, they've got some good guard play from what I've seen. I've, this is my observation off one game, so take it for that. 
and then what I've heard. The guard plays pretty good. They are a feisty team that's closed out games well. Sims down low. I was watching him in that first half. That dude is versatile. As I think that's his name, right? Last name Sims? Isn't that his name? Well, there's Sims and there's also Brown. They have both. They yeah, have Sims is the guy guys. that I was watching. I was incredibly impressed with how he... You know when you have a he how versatile he was like you could they tried to attack him with the picking with picking him and then having him play the guard spot on defensively and he felt natural there he was good defensive good lateral movement he was good on the offensive boards like he looked very versatile and have somebody like that to anchor that with that guard play makes them dangerous and they're a team that doesn't seem to get down on themselves similar to like a team we're familiar with in Xavier. They seem like a team that no matter how the game is going, their mindset is we're always in this, which is dangerous because they do have some players that can knock down shots and can be competitive. Same thing with Texas Tech. Like all these teams, there's a an attitude to them out of what I've seen in the Oklahoma State team. I'd say the same thing. I haven't – Kansas is out with the Oklahoma State game. That they all feel – like they don't very much get down on themselves, which makes this conference, I think, extremely dangerous. And they're playing great basketball all around. Yeah, I mean, I don't even think you brought up West Virginia in that list either. Like they're also in this conference. Oh yeah, no, I or said I said them in Oklahoma okay. can be good. Yeah, they can be. They for me, they feel like the same. West Virginia feels like the same team I see every year. Like yes. they can, like their yes. ceiling is high, <laughs> but then they look they throw a lot of games where you're like, who the hell is this on the court? Mm-hmm. That's how yep, I feel about they sure do. West Virginia this year. Like they can be good. They their ceiling is high, but it's mm-hmm. just you don't know what you get week night in and night out. I feel like with them, at least right now, that's how I feel. And that's off very small sample size, but that's where I'm at. I also didn't realize until I pulled this up now, and it all fit on my screen how small the Big Twelve has actually gotten over the years. Yeah, it's whittled down. Yeah, it's <laughs> like definitely whittled down. There's so few teams. I'm not used to looking at the small conference. Yeah, they got 10. I was going to say, they got 10. The Big 12's got 10. <laughs> and the Big 10's got what? I don't know, like 16. 16, I was going to say. Yeah, it's something, something absurd. Um, yeah, it's, but it's a good conference. It's a good basketball conference. I like this how we should just go through conferences every week, I feel like, and just shoot our shot is what we're feeling. But it's, I, I agree with your statement. I think outside of Gonzaga, if you're taking a conference, I think they have as good of a chance as any to win the national championship because there's a lot of balance in these teams that I don't know if you find outside of the big I mean the Big Ten's got I mean Michigan my god they looked so good against Michigan looks so good so good um I don't know if that that's the first Michigan game I've watched so excuse my ignorance if this is ignorant I don't know if that, too. <laughs> I don't know if that if that is their product every night or obviously not every night because basketball flows but like if that if that's the the best they can play, or if that's pretty typical, but man, did they look like a problem for the rest they did, of the league? Yeah, they did the same thing to Minnesota just a few nights before that too. So it's it's beginning to be a problem. But Huge they problem. also struggled with they also struggled with Oakland at the beginning of the year. <laughs> they went into o- multiple overtimes, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. So they had they did struggle at the beginning, but man, have they hit their stride. Yes, they look very good. Wisconsin, rough, rough game, but um, we'll see. I, think, I, I do think Wisconsin is a little bit overrated as well. Yeah, so. I would say. I feel like that's almost <laughs> every year with Wisconsin. <laughs> um, uh-huh, yep. 
Um, Iowa, we'll see about them too. If they, I mean, there's just Garza is just such an insane player that you kind of always they're always in the fight. But I don't know where I land on them because, like I said, if they can shoot like they've been shooting at times, that team's so dangerous. But and you've got Garza, so if you're not getting buckets from from the three land, you can just dump it inside to him, and he's going to get you thirty. Um, and that's another dangerous well, team. Yeah, it's not like they just have one shooter either. Yeah, they have multiple shooters. Like it's the shooters and Greg Garza. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's it's insane. The balance there is like it, if you're having a bad shooting night, you still got thirty buckets down in the paint. And if you're having a good shooting night, you still got thirty buckets down in the paint. Like it's just yeah, it's right. absurd. So they're yeah, they're just a problem. Make a, be- a higher percentage of those kickouts. Yeah, he sometimes doesn't face, but. It's a problem. It is a problem. Um, I think that will do it for me. Uh, you got any final thoughts before we wrap this up? Nope, that's it for me. Oh, Brooklyn Nets. Um, <sighs> hope this works because you don't have a draft pick for like the next decade. So, no, they don't. Tip of the cap to you there, buddy. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> they they didn't learn from their previous mistake. <laughs> yeah. This one's a little different because these players get draft picks back and they're like, we don't know what to do with these. We're gonna give them away again. <laughs> Not only that, but the years that we don't give them away and the four that we don't trade away, we're going to let you take ours if you want it. Yeah. (laughs) It's going to be, it's either going to be a spectacular success or it is going to be one of the funniest explosions in the NBA of all time. I mean, those Harden and Kyrie are ball heavy guards, and who knows what's going to go on with Kyrie here coming down the stretch. And Garnett thankfully can play play off as he showed in Golden State, but like still, it is that is going to be a funny starting five to watch this season. Either succeed or fail miserably. Yeah, it'll be interesting to watch. I mean, I don't. <laughs> Kyrie Irving is just such a wild story. Like, I I just don't know what to do with him. And if you do get Harden though, and if you pair him back up with. Kevin Durant, like they were in OKC. I mean, you could get something a little interesting there. Dude, but screw a whole it. Different, a whole different player than he was in OKC, too. Well, he's about two bills heavier. Um, you've got, dude, just trade Kyrie for Russ. Get the band back together. Let's let's rock and roll it again here. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, Kyrie. It's now that he's on the Celtics, I can sit back and kind of laugh at it and enjoy the storyline of what's going on with Kyrie. But man. I feel for you, Brooklyn. That is, it's a frustrating situation um, with whatever's going on there. Like, it, you either want to play or you don't want to play. And if you want to play, like, let's go. And if you don't, as Stephen A. say, retire. Like, I don't. It's, exactly. It's a weird game that's being played. Um, I'm not a fan of it, but whatever. I can enjoy how, it. <laughs> how lucky did you get still ending up with Kemba out of that trade? Oh, my God. I, I mean, so my good. God. And that doesn't ruin our young talent in Tatum and Brown and all the rest of the guys. Like the chemistry on the Celtics, I love. French kiss it. I'm so excited for it. <laughs> um, we got to deal with Brooklyn now and Giannis, but hey, whatever. I'll take it. Iron sharpens iron. Um, that'll do it for us. As always, peace. Peace. <laughs>